Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online and on DAB Digital Radio, Women's Football Weekly with Fake Others on TalkSport 2. All the action, excitement and drama from across the entire women's game, including the Women's Super League. Clean off the line by Steph Horton. The UEFA Women's Champions League and the Euro 2021 qualifiers. Lana Clellan striking from outside the penalty area. World-beating, big-match conversation on the station that's raising the game for women's football. And she scores! Women's Football Weekly with Fake Others on Talk Sport 2. Hello, hello. Welcome to Women's Football Weekly. It was a busy international window with plenty of action over the weekend. England will be looking to bounce back against Canada after a 3-1 defeat in France. Piani, quick off the mark, turning against Ruben Moy into the penalty area. Brilliant stuff. Oh, it's a lovely yeah. setup. And the tap-in for Marie Antoinette Cototo. And France have that two-goal lead again. Northern Ireland take a step closer to qualifying for the Euros with a first leg playoff victory over Ukraine. You know, we've been underdogs our whole lives and, you know, we've got this far in being an underdog and we recognise that and we love a challenge, you know, and we came here and we were confident and we'll be confident going into Tuesday as well. And we shine a spotlight on one of the most talked about young players in the FAWSL, Brighton's Maya Letizier. Haven't had like an easy, an easy kind of path when I've had to do it a bit different, but I think that's kind of put me in, put me where I am now. All that, as well as social media abuse rearing its ugly head again. The latest from Birmingham City. Plus, we'll speak to former Wales captain Laura McAllister, who's hoping to become the first female from the UK to be elected to the FIFA Council. This is Women's Football Weekly, National Radio's only dedicated women's football show. Women's Football Weekly with Faker Others. Hi, I'm Frank Kirby, and you're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. Hello team, how are you all doing? Um, I always feel when I'm about to say happy Monday that we should have Step On or something and Bez and some maracas or something like that. Maybe with some maracas. Farrah Williams is with us, England's record appearance maker. How are you doing Farrah? Hi, I'm all well, thank you. How are you? Maracas, no maracas, no? No, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. How are you, though? Because obviously we haven't had you. The last time we had you in the studio, we knew that you were going through a bit of a, a tough time off the pitch at the, at the time. And, and obviously you've you then spoken out about, about the difficulties you've had um, with the media afterwards. How are things with you now? Yeah, really good. Um, fit and well. Um, in remission in terms of my illness, so off medication. So... Yeah, the last eight to ten weeks have been really good for me. Um, feeling a lot more like my normal self. Excellent. So pleased to hear that. Um, listen, we're going to start with a, a Birmingham City update. Uh, I'm sure you were all over this last week. Um, I'm just going to read part of the club statement here because it was it's quite a long one. Um, because Birmingham City, obviously, after allegations last week from players about uh, substandard conditions in terms of training ground facilities and various other other allegations, uh, the club have come out and said, um, the club always supports our players and staff in every way we can. We were disappointed to learn that a private and internal matter was made public over the weekend. Whilst media reports did discuss concerns of the players, several of the points raised were factually incorrect or lacked important context. They go on to specifically um, talk about two media outlets as well, which was very interesting. Um, They then said a letter 
Signed on behalf of the playing squad was received and responded to within seven days. The efforts of the players have started an open dialogue between the board and the women's squad to provide clarity on these issues. In that letter, a request to meet with the board was made and that request has since been fulfilled. They talk about the fact there's no secret they've got one of the lowest budgets in the Barclays FA Women's Super League as well and continue to support the women's setup with a large investment over the years but say it's incomparable to some of the budgets that exist in the in the league today particularly with the change in the women's football landscape saying that the COVID-19 pandemics uh, served to compound that I mean it's, it's a really long statement if you want to go on their website and check it out and read the whole thing um, however the, the main point is um, they're pretty much denying uh, most of uh, the allegations that were leveled at them saying that it was blown up by the by the press um, some forward steps though with, with news that the team will play at St Andrews next season, uh, which is good news. Uh, however, I was under the impression that that was already in the pipeline anyway. So maybe a little bit of a smoke screen, perhaps insinuating that was a result of these discussions when it, when it actually wasn't. Um, I also understand that the statement did not go down well with the players and they were really disappointed it didn't take into account their feelings. Um, as I as I understand, discussions still are ongoing, but no real resolutions have actually been made just yet. And I, don't, I just don't think this is going to go away, Farah. Um, you know, certainly here at Women's Football Weekly, as well as many other media outlets, we're just going to keep highlighting it. And obviously, many of the women's football community have come out in support of Birmingham City women's players this past week. Uh, before I get your thoughts, Farah, uh, let's hear from some of the Lionesses squad who I spoke to last week. I think now in the women's game, we're at a level now where that that's totally probably not acceptable at all. Um, I don't, I'm not close enough to Birmingham to obviously know the ins and outs of that detail. But from from what I can see and and looking in from the outside, that that's not good enough. I'm good that the players are having to experience uh, what they are, and hopefully something's going to change moving forward. And I think overall in the women's game, you still need to make improvements like this, um, and it shows you know where the game needs to get to. Ellie Roebuck and Millie Bright there speaking to me last week about that. Um, Farah, have you have you read the the Birmingham statement? And, and obviously you've, you've seen uh, the allegations that the players made last week. What were your thoughts on it? No, I haven't read the um, the statement that's been put out from from Birmingham. Um, I've seen bits from from some of the players and, and tried to hear some of what you know the whole of the women's game in support of that. Um, I think the difficulty is still in the women's game that was so reliant on the men's team to be successful and, and their security, which enables the women to be more secure. So Birmingham's a prime example, you know, the, the, the men and where they're sat in their league um, are dictating, you know, I guess th th what they're putting into their women's team. I think they have a duty of care for, for, their, for, for the players and staff of the women's team uh, to resolve things. And yeah, I think it just shows the imbalance still within the women's game. From, from the top female teams to the to the lower teams in the same league. Mm. They, they say there are always improvements that can be made, uh, but moving the, the women's team to the training centre was a big step forward back in 2009, but they, they admit that there are still challenges to overcome in accommodating all of the teams in, in one location. Um, I mean, look, I think this is going to be ongoing until something actual, actually tangible happens um, and we'll obviously here on Women's Football Weekly keep you updated uh, with the very latest on that. Um, another disappointing story to have to bring you as well is Liverpool winger Rinsola Babajide says she wants to break her silence after receiving racist abuse on social media. She posted a screenshot of it uh, to her Instagram. Police are now investigating after it was reported to them by her club. Um, Instagram have since removed the message, but the account is uh, still active, the, the account responsible. The message said, football's only for men, and then was followed by a racist remark. Now, this is just becoming far too common now, um, Farah, and, and there has been a bit of a movement with many uh, suggesting perhaps there needs to be a bit of a, uh, a break from social media from many high-profile clubs, which they have done. Uh, many clubs have al already done that, including Swansea City. Uh, there has been talk about the FA potentially suspending some of the, the England accounts uh, to make a statement because the social media companies just don't seem to be doing anything. They seem to be saying all the right things. But again, similar to the story we were just talking about a moment ago, there doesn't actually seem to be any real action taking place. 
I think that's the problem. I think, you know, there's there's lots of people out there talking about what potentially can be done. I think the companies themselves, in terms of all the, the social media companies that are out there, the government probably need to step in and do a little bit more in terms of giving some direction to that. I think that the abuse that players, you know, especially that we see and, and, and read about, for me, it's disgusting. And, and not only that, but but they're human beings. And, and, you know, and I think that the impact it then has on them mentally is the, is the thing that we all forget about. Yes, we're sports people, but at the same time, we're humans. And, and this abuse that, that players are receiving, you know, has a, has a wider um, impact on the, on, on the player as a person. Yeah, it certainly does. It's, um, it's getting to, to, to ridiculous points now, which is why, you know, we're having to do things ourselves. Let, let's hear what um, England defender Leah Williamson had to say. Uh, she spoke to the media earlier on about how frustrating it is for players that nothing seemingly is being done about this. Yeah, it's the you know prime example of of everybody just hoping that something disappears, but nobody actually taking any action that that supports that. And you can have all different you know levels and and I suppose severities of online abuse, but from literally just getting abused after a football game because of performance to then the colour of your skin or your sexuality or your gender, um, all of it's unacceptable. Yet I can't believe that there aren't any measures. Um, to deal with them based on that severity even, you know. Um, So, yeah, absolutely nothing's being done and it's unacceptable. I think it's a bit of a tipping point there. Interesting thoughts from Leah Williamson, I think, which echoes what many of us think on this. But there does seem to be a bit of a movement and support now because it it sounds ridiculous, but this is something the women's game in particular have fought for a long time. You know, you can shout as loud as you like, but no one listens. All of a sudden, you're a male player with millions and millions of followers and somebody sits up and listens. And that certainly feels as if it is what happened with regard to, to Real Madrid, because the Real Madrid women's uh, captain, I think it is, um, received a, 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 a hateful message after posting uh, a picture um, of herself with one of the Real Madrid uh, players, Marco Asensio, um, ba- basically both holding the badge, the Real Madrid badge, and celebrating in the same way with a side-by-side um, picture. And, and the message was basically same team, same passion. Um, she received a load of um, sexist abuse um, after posting that. And so Marco Asensio then put the same uh, post out just to highlight the fact that that's not acceptable. And and again, banners were displayed as well. And I mean, it, it makes me cross that that has to happen. However, the solidarity is important to show. And actually, if we have to go the route of people listening purely because they're listening to, to people that, that they idolise who have millions of followers around the world and that's a way of highlighting it, then that's important. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. The fact that he's gone and done that, I think, as you say, their platform is far greater than the female platform um, in, in some countries, in some teams. Um, and if they can use that to highlight that they want equality or they want that th- their female team to be seen as, as equal to them in terms of their passion for the team, then, then I think it's right that he does that and tries help and drive and, and be seen to support it. Yeah, absolutely. Right, you're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faker Others alongside Reading's Farrah Williams. Coming up, we're going to chat about England's defeat to France on Friday night. Women's Football Weekly with Faker Others on TalkSport 2. <laughs> This is Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2, the only show on national radio dedicated to women's football with Faker Others. The Lionesses most cap player, Farrah Williams, with me as well. Uh, don't forget, if you miss any of our shows or you want to listen again, our podcast is available on the TalkSport app so you can download it today. Uh, right, now then, Friday night, France 3, England women 1. I mean, it was a dominant display from France, a second string France side, really, with, with many of their Lyon players missing because of COVID. But they they really turned the heat on England. First and foremost, if you didn't watch it, it was a very entertaining, end-to-end, lively match. And certainly the, the best I've seen England play in a fair while, but they were up against pretty solid competition, Farah, weren't they? Yeah, most definitely. I mean... It was a game I expected to see some improvements from, from this England team in. I know they haven't, you know, been together for, for what, a, a year now due to, due to the COVID restrictions. Um, they had a really good result against Northern Ireland. 
um, which was again was expected in terms of goals. Um, but yeah, in crucial moments throughout the game, I just think that you know they were the fine margins that that showed in terms of the quality within the squad. And I think you know, as you said, it was France's second string team. But in terms of them finer details and being able to execute in the right moments, I think France were much much better in those in those moments of the game. Yeah, they certainly were. And England switched off on on at crucial moments. I mean, England had plenty of chances. I thought Nikita Paris was was great, bearing in mind she'd only just joined up with the squad after getting a, a negative COVID test and obviously couldn't be part of the, the last camp. I thought she looked pretty sharp. But again, same problem that she perhaps had at moments in, in the World Cup in 2019. Just, just not clinical enough at times. Ellen White, of course, had that goal ruled out for offside in, in, in the first half. But then defensively, they looked really shaky. And that opening goal was just a, a delight from Sandy Baltimore. Um, you know, top corner, not that much that Ellie Roebuck could have done with it, but certainly more that the defence could have done to shut her out. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, England's back line looked a bit messy for me. I think in terms of their defending, I think they got pulled into areas that you wouldn't want players to go into. I think they got exposed um, more than we would have liked as an England team. I think that's something that... You know, we need to certainly tighten up on and stop leaking so many goals. But yeah, you're right. It's those moments in attack, you know, I think chances created. We had more chances than France, but mm. it's being composed in in those moments to execute. And I think, you, you know, France certainly throughout the game, although although England dominated in terms of possession and, and, and final third entries, I think in terms of the composure and managing the game, I think uh, France had better management of the game. And, and that's why they was able to win, you know, 3-1 and quite comfortably. Yeah, they certainly did. I mean, it looked like it was going to, you know, be an interesting end to the game um, when it looked to be all over at 2-0. Rachel Daly with that clumsy foul. And it's it's really difficult seeing Rachel Daly in that position because she, she started off at right back, didn't she? And then switched over to, to the left in, in the second half. And she just didn't look entirely comfortable was it the other way around I can't remember um but she just didn't look entirely comfortable I I didn't think and then a really clumsy foul that she just didn't need to make um and within like two minutes of coming on the pitch the substitute Asai sent Roebuck uh, the wrong way but what I really liked about what England did after that is they didn't let their heads drop they still kept pushing and for me that the game changer was was Manchester City's Lauren Hemp because she was just phenomenal when she stepped on the pitch yeah and I couldn't agree more I mean for, for me the excitement when she stepped on the pitch I think it's just her directness her pace and her intelligence to go 1v1 and, and try and get herself in the box to create something I think England missed that and yeah I certainly think in the women's game when you have you know, players that are direct with a bit of pace, they certainly in transition can cause problems. I think Lauren Hemp and Chloe Kelly throughout the season for Man Manchester City are probably the most informed wingers probably in Europe, in my opinion. I think they've both been fantastic. Um, disappointing to not see either of them start. Um, I think it's an, it's an opportunity for them to, to maybe get a game, you know, on Tuesday evening against Canada. I think, you know, certainly with the Olympics coming up and and needing to pick a squad for that. I certainly think they need to be given an opportunity from the start to actually show what they can do. But Lauren Hemp certainly, for me, changed the game for England. Mm, I thought Kira Walsh was excellent as well. I mean, she, she's fantastic for Manchester City. She has this ability to dictate play, but I've seen her in England games sometimes just be a bit sloppy in possession and quite frustrated by that. But I thought she was excellent on Friday night. She obviously hit the post uh, as well. Frank Kirby getting her, her penalty, uh, which was... Uh, just desserts really for, for a fantastic performance for her, which you wouldn't expect anything less after the season th that she's had. But then again, England caught on the break and Katoto sealed the game uh, for France. But do you feel, I feel as if there were positives to take from this game for sure, whilst a lot to work on. Um, but you cannot hide from the fact that it's just four wins from 13 games since that 3-0 quarterfinal win over Norway in 2019 at the World Cup. That's not good enough, is it? I mean, for, for a Lioness fan and, and an ex-Lioness player, certainly, as you mentioned, four from, what did you say, 11 or 9? 13. 13 or 13, even worse. So, no, it's definitely not good enough in terms of Seeing development, I certainly would agree in terms of Kira's development, in terms of impact international football. I think in a big game against France, I thought she was fantastic. I thought her distribution forward and breaking lines was on point. Um, she was aggressive in defensively, you know, which is certainly showing improvements from her side. 
Frank Kirby, I think we needed to get her more on the ball with her form this year for Chelsea. I think she showed it in glimpses against France. I think if England got her more on the ball. But we say we're developing and progressing. And um, with that, it becomes inconsistencies. I, I, I agree. But at some point, you know, these inconsistencies and, and bad results need to, t- t- to turn to um, results because the performances haven't always been there. In, in the games that we won or lost in, in, in those 13. Um, so, yes, we're starting to have more possession in games. I think sometimes England are playing with possession with no purpose. And mm. for me, mm. um, yes, we can. you can look at stats in terms of how, how much England are keeping the ball against bigger nations now, which they haven't been able to do in the past. But in terms of actually impacting games, I don't think they're doing that with the possession that they're having in, in the areas of the pitch that they're having it. So they're certainly, for me, yes, they're improve, improving a little bit, but for me, not enough for us to, to go on and, and start dominating it and start being spoken about like we were just after 2015 when we come so close to, to um, getting to the final. Yeah, absolutely. Let's hear from um, the interim England head coach, Hegarisa, shall we? Because she's been reflecting on that performance uh, and said it was the fine details that the Lionesses really lacked on Friday. You take uh, parts of the France game that is excellent. We just need to finish our chances. And like that's the detail. It's not easy, but that's the detail we are looking for going forward. And now review the France game and see leading into Canada how we can improve in the areas that we lacked in the last game. So Hegerisa uh, in this press conference also said to expect a lot of changes uh, for the Canada match, um, which is on Tuesday night. I'll be uh, bringing you updates on Talk Sport on that one. Um, Lucy Bronze still unlikely. To, to, to play. Don't think her fitness is quite up to scratch. She didn't travel to France. Neither did her Manchester City teammate Demi Stokes either. If there are going to be multitude of changes, Farah, what kind of changes would you like to see? Because you can't under, un, underestimate Canada either. And of course, they're now under Bev Priestman, former England assistant. Yeah, I think we certainly, I mean, if Lucy Bond is not fit to play, I think we certainly already know what, what she's more than capable of doing. I think this is their last game before uh, the selection it for is. the Olympic team. So I think opportunities for players to really be seen at this level against, you know, one of those top-seeded teams, um, I, I would give players a chance. I think certainly at the back, I'd like to keep it similar to what we had um, just so they can start to build relationships. Certainly the centre-halves, I'd like to see, you know, play alongside each other again. So so Millie and uh, Leah play alongside each other. But I'd like to see uh, Chloe Kelly and Lauren Hemp, um, potentially Beth England, given a chance. I think these are players that are on the fringe of making the A-team for the Olympics and uh, mm. it'd be an ideal opportunity for them, um, yeah, to have a run out. I think Jordan Nobbs hasn't played in a long time international football. Yeah. I think, you know, she certainly needs to get herself back out there because... You know, it's got to be over a year since Jordan, well, longer than that with COVID, since Jordan's actually started for England um, in a big game. So I think for her, I think she needs to be seen um, before um, Olympic selection uh, just to see where she's at. I mean, yeah, that, that, that's really injuries in the past as well. So, yeah, that's a really interesting point. Uh, uh, what's also, did, did, were there any players that you think talked themselves out of a place because you can only take 18 players for an Olympic squad that is not very many players and you've not even started to to begin to discuss uh, the other um, the Scottish players the Welsh players and 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 the Northern Irish players and so it's a very very difficult difficult you know decision for Hege Risa to, to make but were any of the players on that pitch on Friday night who you would expect to be on the plane did any of them stand out for you for having made too many mistakes and perhaps talked themselves out of selection I mean it's difficult because if we're going as an England 18 um and and, and not going to consider other nations then then probably not if we're considering players from other nations which I believe if we want to go with the best possible chance you have to based on form Agreed. and what mm-hmm. the players can bring I think if you watch the world's game against against Canada there was a couple of players there that that certainly was more than capable of playing against top teams like that in in a Welsh team that we wouldn't speak of with you, you know great caliber of players I mean they've got a core caliber of players that can play at the top level but in terms of the overall 11 I think they're a little bit off it in terms of that but you, you know there was players within that Ingle and, and Fishlock uh, just to mention a few that, that that really stood out in that game um, you've got Caroline Weir, Cuthbert and, and uh, Kim Little from the Scottish Nation who mm. for me have been standouts at their club. Um, and then, I mean, we can also put in in that mix uh, Rachel Finesse uh, of Northern Ireland who, yeah. for me, 
you know, she's had. She might be injured, unfortunately. We'll discuss that in a second. Yeah, but, so yeah, if you consider I, them, I think then, then England players need to be checking their shoulders uh, in mm. terms of selection because, you, you know, certainly if I was in that England squad right now in terms of results and, and individual performances at time, um, I don't think they've been up to the standards to, to, to be granted a, a place in, in, in that squad. Yeah, it's going to be really fascinating when she has to to name that 18-player squad for sure. Let's discuss Northern Ireland quickly, shall we? Because, I mean, an absolutely huge European Championship qualifier first leg playoff win for them. They head into the second leg against Ukraine in Belfast with two away goals, having beaten them 2-1. Rachel Furness opening the scoring early on, um, but then Ukraine equalised in the 22nd minute but finesse had to leave the field after picking up an injury on the half hour mark she looked really emotional as well as she left the pitch so fingers crossed for her that she can play in the second game but that's looking unlikely no update on that just yet uh, simone mcgill managed to to restore northern ireland's lead in the second half as well and actually let's hear from simone uh, mcgill as well because she said they're going to be carrying their underdog spirit into this second leg Overall, it's probably not one of our best performances. You know, we know we can do a lot better. And going into Tuesday, we're going to hope that we can, you know, keep the ball better and do more of what we're good at. You know, lucky we got a good result here to to take us into Tuesday. And hopefully we can just build on that and just get the ball out from the back and just keeping it and doing the things that we're really, really good at. I think we could could have been a lot better with regards to that tonight. You know, we've been underdogs our whole lives. And, you know, we've got this far in being an underdog. And we recognise that. And we love a challenge, you know. And we came here and we were confident and we'll be confident going into Tuesday as well but we, we recognise that there's still a very long way to go there's still a big 90 minutes ahead of us and we're going to give it absolutely everything like we did tonight to hopefully get us over the line but fingers crossed we can do that on Tuesday Northern Ireland, Simone McGill there. I'm so excited for them, Farah. It would just be fantastic to have two home nations in the, in the European uh, Championships. Oh, it would be brilliant. I mean, I've been rooting for them. I've been messaging Rachel um, before the first leg, saying, you know, what a draw. I think that would that would have been the, the one nation out of the nations that were left that they would have loved their chances or fancied their chances against. So I think the spirit within that Northern Ireland squad, I think it shows in abundance. I think, as you mentioned, the underdogs they've been, but yet they've, you know, they've really dug out results. And for me, I know Rachel hobbled off the pitch. Um, Finesse, I think she will do her utmost to... to try and get herself in some sort of, you know, I'm sure she'll taper. So whatever she can do to get on that pitch to try and give them a real chance, I think she'll do. And I think she's so important to that team in terms of results and and probably get grinding out of result in, in the second leg that, as I say, I think this means so much to her, having spoken to her, um, that she will want to do everything she can to get herself on that pitch. And yeah, as I said, I'm rooting for them and really hoping they can get through this uh, second leg. Brilliant stuff. Right, this is Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. We wish Northern Ireland the very best of luck. 7.45 Tuesday night kickoff for their second uh, leg against Ukraine. This is Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faker Ruthers. Farrah Williams is with me as well. Next up, we're going to be speaking to former Wales international and captain, actually, Laura McAllister, who's hoping to become the first female from the UK to be elected to the FIFA Council. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faker Rothers and keeping you company with me is Reading and England's Farrah Williams. Now then, we were about to speak to Laura McAllister, who's former Wales captain, who's hoping to become the first female from the UK to be elected to the FIFA Council. Uh, this is quite an important topic and, and really important for you to understand uh, the context of what this means going forward, to have uh, a female from the UK for the first time on the, FIFA, on the FIFA Council, which is basically the top table of world football. Um, it's basically a non-executive, supervisory and strategic body that sets the vision for FIFA and global football. Um, and Europe get one female place on the council and the elections for it are being held on the 20th of April. And there's surely no better candidate than a former Wales captain. Uh, Laura McAllister joins us now. How are you doing, Laura? Hello, Faye. Uh, very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. Farrah Williams is, is with me. Great. Hi, Hi. Farrah. Hi. Hope you're well. Sorry, yeah, it's always, you too. It's always really awkward when we've got two people in completely different studios and one person <laughs> on the phone. Normally, we'd all be in a nice studio together. Uh, obviously, you, you played every single international match for your country between 1994 and 2001. You've got so many credentials in terms of your sports governance and, and everything you've done in your career since. And you want to represent UEFA's 55 member nations at the top table of world football. You've released your manifesto. Um, for our listeners who maybe don't know the importance of the FIFA Council or or what your impact could be if you won a seat there, can, can you just explain to them exactly how important it would be mm. for you to sit there and what changes you can make? Yeah, I mean, it would be massive. Um, but, but let's be clear, this is going to be a very, very tough election to win. Um, I'm up against an incumbent in Evelina Cristalli from Italy, so one of you know UEFA's superpowers in Italy. Um, but but my credentials are very much based on the fact that I'm a former international player, as you said. Um, I'm a football candidate. You know, my my life's been lived through football, from being a small kid kicking a ball around, you know, mainly with boys in those days, to going on to play for Wales, and and you know, very proud to have been captain and to play professionally with Cardiff City. So, you know, as well as that, when I did retire, um, I I really wanted to put something back into football, and I've been involved ever since, really, in the governance of the game with the Football Association of Wales, and then more broadly with Sport Wales and, and UK Sport. And I, I feel very passionate about um, hearing women's voices in football around the top table uh, in terms of global governance. And at the moment, there just aren't enough women there and there aren't enough females who played the game at a top level. So I hope I'd be able to make a you know, credible contribution on that basis. Laura, just a question from me. Um, I read some of the stuff yeah. that you put out there. Um, you've probably seen uh, the abuse that's now coming into the women's game as well as the men. I see yeah. that you put you'd like to tackle that. How would you go about doing that? Yeah, it's a big uh, it's a big plank of my manifesto, far as you saw, because I feel very strongly about this. You know, I know a lot of the the current um, Wales and England players quite well, and I know that female players as well as male players are getting some pretty horrendous abuse, you know, based on racism or homophobia or sexism. And I think football has an incredible uh, ability or potential to tackle this. I mean, some I've ch chatted about this with people across the world in football. And in some respects, football has more power than national governments do in this respect, because football touches so many people's lives. You know, it's so influential in children's lives, educationally and so on. But I think we're football to take a much stronger stance um, against racism and against sexism and homophobia. It could have a real impact. Now, I mean, I'm not saying anything terribly dramatically new in my manifesto. What I'm saying instead is that we should really put our shoulder to the wheel and, and make this an absolute priority because we can't tolerate the kind of you know, casual racism and pretty abhorrent abuse that players are getting on social media. There's got to be a time when the social media um, owners take responsibility for this, you know, outlawing anonymous accounts, uh, creating audit trails so you can look back at who's made um, abusive comments and ban them for life from social media. You know, it's it's not a football problem as such, but it's manifested 
greatly in football. And I think it could be uh, it could be incumbent on us to take the first initiative to actually do something about this. Yeah, that's a really good point. It isn't just a football issue. It's a social issue and something that really needs to be tackled. And it's at the forefront of many people's minds. We were talking about it at the at the top of the show, Laura. Um, yeah. You know, after various um, stories of more online abuse um, suffered by players. Um, I just want to move it forward to, to the commercial side of women's football, because obviously because of your credibility within the game, um, w- what you've done as a player, uh, your knowledge of it as well. Um, it was interesting seeing that FIFA, uh, the FIFA Council had decided to empower all member associations to vote on the Women's World Cup host. I think that's yeah. really, really yeah. important. But But also you believe that there's merit in selling the broadcast and commercial rights of the Women's World Cup separately. What, what's the thinking behind that? Yeah, well, I think we're at a, a crucial moment for the women's game at the moment. You know, it, it's so important, really, that we appreciate how much uh, profile and how much attention the women's game can have at the moment for sponsors. I mean, I, I was listening to somebody who's just retiring from Coca-Cola speaking uh, this weekend who as a corporate director, and he was saying that these days sponsors will turn down uh, deals with sport unless there is parity of attention uh, for the women and men's versions of them. And I think one of the reasons for that is that the values in the women's game, particularly in football, appeal incredibly now and in a really positive way to potential sponsors. The fact that, you know, we have we can attract families to the women's game, the values of the players are... I mean, I don't want to be critical of male players, but I think culturally women, women players are more tuned to uh, the needs and the and are more respectful towards fans and towards the families who attend, and I think that's an incredibly compelling product for sponsors. I know from my work with UEFA around the uh, review of the Women's uh, Champions League that the new deals that have been struck with some big players, you know, really big players in the global sponsorship market, are because they like the product. You know, they like the fact that women are fair, you know, they, they they cheat far less, you know, and gosh, you know, Farah and I know that you know, there's been plenty of dives in women's football as well, so we're not trying to make out that it's, it's pure as snow, but I think the values are, are much better, and I think that's a really compelling project. So if we, if we unbundle that from the men's game, I suspect this will be in the women's game's interest, that we can sell the Women's World Cup to, to much better deals from sponsors than we could just be in a kind of add-on to the men's side. I think Farah's got a question regarding um, communities, actually, because it'd be interesting to see how that kind of money from commercial can then filter down further into the grassroots side of the game. And I think I think Farah's got a question regarding uh, communities. Yeah, just around how, how, as you mentioned, that 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 money, um, how and you know, are you going to reach out to these different yeah. and underprivileged communities to give, you know, everybody the opportunity to to play football? Yes, yeah, so it's a really good point and it's absolutely fundamental to my manifesto because I talk throughout about competitive balance and that's something really important in UEFA particularly because, you know, we can't afford to let some of the big clubs dictate um, the way in which football develops. You know, it has to be driven by the member associations, that is the nations of UEFA. And, and the reason why is what you alluded to there, Farah, you know, if if we don't allow the FAs of all the nations to have the biggest say in how football is developed, what we will see is provision for the rich and the elite and, and very little for anyone else. Um, you know, I've worked in grassroots football in Wales and I know a lot, obviously, about grassroots football elsewhere. And, and that's the lifeblood of the game. You know, it, it's where most of us came from, really. You know, I've got two girls and they both they both play, um, you know, grassroots community football. And if we don't give them those kind of opportunities, particularly in areas where perhaps there aren't, you know, there isn't the same number of pitches or 3G pitches particularly, then we're going to lose a whole generation of players, you know, and, and I think that's fundamental. So the concept of competitive balance is about solidarity, basically. It's about saying, you know, we want the Women's Champions League, for example, and the Men's Champions League to grow and we want the money to come in. But that mustn't just go to the clubs that reach the semifinals and the quarterfinals. There has to be a model where a big part of that money goes into the clubs which uh, compete in the early rounds. Um, same with the Euros and the Nations League. So that all the nations, you know, whether they're Liechtenstein or uh, France, will have an opportunity to develop football for children 
in their countries. That's as important to me, to be perfectly honest, as, as Wales women qualifying for a World Cup. You know, I want the game to grow at grassroots level as well. Yeah, it's really important. Laura, we wish you all the very best of luck. I know that uh, Wales and Liverpool legend Ian Rush has endorsed uh, your, your uh, manifesto as yeah. well, which is, I mean, that must have been amazing. That's great. Oh, we've had loads of support, you know, and to be fair, I mean, Farah will know this, I've had loads of support from from English players and other European nations as well, because I think there's a kind of sense in the women's game now that we need women players represented to offer our views and to reflect what's going on amongst the playing community. So it hasn't just been from Wales. I mean, it's great to have Rashi, of course, and Gareth Bale and, you know, Jess Fishlock and Sophie Ingle, but it's players beyond Wales as well, I think, who, who really feel hungry for having a proper voice for women in the game. So, you know, I hope I can do it for them, but it's going to be tough next week. But, you know, fingers crossed. We will keep all our fingers crossed for you and keep us updated as well, Laura. We'll be following you on social media. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. Good luck again. Take care. Thank you very much indeed. Bye-bye. The wonderful Professor Laura McAllister there. You're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faker Rothers alongside Farah Williams. Next up, we're going to be chatting through um, the anniversary, 10 years it is, of the FAWSL. You're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2, the UK's only national radio show dedicated to women's football. I'm Faker Rothers alongside World Cup bronze medalist Farrah Williams. If you miss any of the show, you can catch up by downloading the TalkSport app and subscribing to our podcast. You just need to search for Women's Football Weekly. Now then, we would love for an anniversary to fall on a Monday of a Women's Football Weekly. Unfortunately... The 10th anniversary of the Barclays FA Women's Super League uh, falls on a Tuesday, but we're just going to mark it today anyway. And we'll maybe go a little bit bigger and tell you the big announcements that they have planned uh, for Tuesday on another day and and discuss those in more depth. Uh, But there's no better guest really on to have to discuss the last decade of women's football than Farrah Williams, who's played for four different WSL clubs. But first of all, let's hear a few highlights from the past 10 years. Oh, and Liverpool have hit back straight away. Extraordinary. Right from the kickoff, having just conceded, Farrah Williams does that and restores Liverpool's lead. Oh, and it was touched to Alan White. Beautifully worked, fantastically finished. Liverpool, Arsenal and Reading in that time. If you were going to pick your favourite memories from the last decade, or favourite memory, should I say, from the last decade, what would it be? Uh, It has to be for me winning the league uh, with Liverpool on a personal note. 
yeah, it took me a very long time. I didn't achieve it until I was 30. So you can imagine how long I played uh, to achieve that. So, yeah, winning the league with Liverpool is definitely my highlight. Um, I wish I could play another 10 years. It's so exciting when you listen. I was just listening to the highlights and and, and realising how far the game's come. I wish I was young enough to play play another 10. I'm afraid I'm not, though. Ah, <laughs> oh, but then again, then again, I mean, don't rule yourself completely out, but e- <laughs> <laughs> equally, you know, you, you do get to, you know, with the work that you're doing in the media, with the coaching that you're doing, you do get to have a different perspective of the game. Having played it, you almost get... The game at its infancy, if you like, or the WSL at its infancy, you've grown with it over that decade and now you get to take that onto another level as the game changes, which must be pretty exciting. Yeah, really exciting. I mean, the game certainly has in those 10 years changed massively. I think I remember back to, to when I signed uh, at Everton for the, the start of the FAWSL. Um, I, I mean, in, in terms of we still only train twice a week in the evenings, you know, 8.30 to 10.30. To think back 10 years ago, you know, working full-time jobs, training, you know, at such late hours in the evening to then be, you know, my, my, my daily routine, be waking up in the morning now, uh, driving into training and having, you know, a, a normal routine that an athlete should have in terms of timings of, of training, in terms of um, yeah, nutrition, in terms of recovery. Um, it's just fantastic to see the growth of the game. But you're right in terms of, you know, f- future steps for me and, and still being involved within the game, whether that be through media, whether that be through coaching or, or another year of playing um, is yet to be decided. Yeah, um, well, I'm looking forward to seeing what you do. Please tell us first and foremost, won't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, j- just just finally to, to, to wrap this up, it, it, what would you what would you want for the game in another 10 years time? How would you like to see it? have moved on in another 10 years? I mean, it's grown massively, as I mentioned, in certainly the last few years. So um, I'd like to see some consistencies in terms of um, the, the investment from from um, the commercial side of things. I think that the media interest, I'd like that to stay on. And I think really trying to encourage football fans to come through the doors rather than just tuning in, you know, on TV or, or radio. It's important that we get, you know, bums on seats and, and really coming out and watching the women. Um, more visibility, which which is, you know, we're hopeful of now with, with, with the, the deal of the BBC and, and Sky. I just don't want the, the women's game to grow so big that, you know, not every team's able to keep up and, and then obviously we lose the competitiveness within the game. Yeah. I hope it, it remains sustainable for you know, whether it be 10 or 12 teams within that WSL, because, you know, that's only going to help our national team. Yeah, it certainly is. Really excited to see what the next 10 years brings. And uh, we'll bring you the news that the FA will be releasing uh, on Tuesday, next week on on Women's Football Weekly. Now, listen, we always do a spotlight on this show uh, whenever we can. We like to try and pick a person or a club, organisation maybe in the world of women's football to shine our spotlight on. And this week we're going to hear from one of the future stars of the FAWSL as we head into the 10-year anniversary, 18-year-old Brighton defender Maya Letissier. And producer Flo has been chatting to her about what it feels like to be catching attention and winning awards this season. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like, I've not really experienced that before as such. Like um, Before I was at Brighton, I was just playing boys football and stuff. So like it's been very quick, like kind of the, the transition in. Um, but it's nice like I kind of just take it in my stride um it's really nice to get the recognition but like we do I don't play football to to get recognition I just try and become the best player and best person I can so it's really nice to see it and I think it's I think my family love it when when those things kind of happen my mum and dad and granny and they're always kind of on the phone congratulating me but yeah I just I just focus on my performance and and what I can to kind of keep going and keep developing and getting better um because yeah, ultimately I want to I want to be a better player, so it's really nice to get it. But um, yeah, you just have to keep on looking forward. I'm from Guernsey, so like they, there's not really much girls football over there. Um, when I was younger, anyway, so I just played boys football at my local side. Uh, my dad was my coach from the age of four until sixteen, and then alongside that, I I did the Guernsey stuff. So I played for Guernsey up until um, under 18s when I left. So yeah, moved over, went into Brighton under 21s, um, whilst playing for England at the same time, and then. Did about a season there, and I, whenever I could train with the first team, I would go. But I had college and stuff, um, and then last season, did more training with the first team, and then obviously got a professional contract 
Um, and then, yeah, this season's just been full time with the first team. So it's been it's been different, but I wouldn't have had it any other way. I think like I've learned so much. I haven't I hadn't haven't had like an easy an easy kind of path when I've had to do it a bit different. But I think that's kind of put me in put me where I am now. And finally, obviously, we talked a lot about about football and you know stuff on the pitch. But is there anything off the pitch that you think people don't necessarily know much about you? Actually, me, Danique and Anessa from Brighton, we've actually have been having golf lessons before the lockdown. Okay. And we've actually been trying to get good at golf for the summer. Um, so now the range is open. We actually, we're actually going down there quite often. But I think I was a little bit rusty the other day, not going to lie. So we need to work on that. But yeah, that is a thing that we have, that we're trying to learn golf so we can get out on the course. But I think we only want to go on the course so we can use one of them buggies and drive around <laughs> and get some videos for Instagram I'm <laughs> yeah. sure as well <laughs> oh brilliant excellent stuff uh Maya Letitia there of, of Brighton she's a real prospect for her, isn't she yeah most definitely I mean she was certainly a player after playing them that I'd, I'd mentioned to our manager about her um for someone so young I thought she was very mature in, in the way that she played the game and and listen you don't get into an hope power team if you don't have anything about you so to play to play for Hope Powell, you've certainly got got to be talented, and 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 she's proved that for her first year in WSL, for her to be spoken about as much as she has in a team that probably, you know, are definitely a, a fighting every week in terms of their, their position. Um, she's proved to, to 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 be one that's that stood out. Yep, she certainly has. They have Bristol City, by the way, in uh, the next round of the FA Cup. These are the third round results. One real big shock. Wolverhampton Wanderers uh, beat Watford uh, 4-1, which is an excellent result for them. Uh, the next round, fourth round, Wolves and Southampton are the only fourth tier sides uh, remaining. Some of the standout ties, Leicester against Liverpool, all championship tie. Bim Covent United, Man City face Aston Villa. Uh, Wolves uh, rewarded for their win over uh, Watford will face Blackburn of the Championship um, and all couple of London derbies Chelsea against London City Lionesses and Crystal Palace against London Bees and then Southampton's reward is a match-up against Lewis FC uh, the international games coming up as well England against Canada as I said I'll be bringing you updates on Talk Sport on Tuesday night of that and that massive um, Euro 2022 playoff between Northern Ireland and Ukraine is also on Tuesday. Uh, Farrell Williams it has been a pleasure as it always is thank you Faye you forgot Reading Spurs come on oh sorry I can't believe I didn't mention that I'm very I sorry Reading well, <laughs> I know I, had, I was looking at the clock and I was like I haven't got much time and picking out and how could I not have picked that out as a standout tie we'll talk about it next time uh, take care of yourself and we'll chat again soon uh, next week we're going to be joined by Rachel Furness and we hope to be uh, chatting to her following Northern Ireland's Euro 2022 qualification fingers crossed but a big thanks to Farrah Williams Laura McAllister Maya Letitia producer Flo and of course all of you as ever for listening don't forget if you miss any of the show download the Women's Football Weekly podcast. It's on the TalkSport app.